welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. In 2019, some contractors working at the Marinol Convent removed a false ceiling and discovered the door to an attic. In it was a treasure trove of 3,000 orders for vestments, rolls of patterns, materials, threads, parts of Singer sewing machines, all part of the embroidery and sewing workshop set up by the Marinol sisters. 70 pieces from that attic discovery are on show at an exhibition at the Hong Kong Heritage Discovery Centre called Habits and Haberdashery, Uncovering History and Heritage in the Hidden Attic. It's on until September the 14th. Doris Kwan, the Conservation and Exhibition Project Coordinator of the Marinol Convent School Foundation, and Ringo M, an Assistant Curator for Monument Buildings with the Antiquities and Monuments Office, showed me around. Hi, I'm Doris. I am an ex-council member of the Marinol Convent School Foundation, which is the school-sponsoring body of Marinol Convent School. And did you go to that school originally? Yes, many years ago. <laughs> and uh, I'm in charge of the curating and the conservation of the relics of this project. So that's why I'm coordinating with AMO and prepare for this exhibition. It's been a wonderful discovery, hey? Yes, to our surprise too. We didn't expect to discover something. So did you go up that ladder into the attic? Yes, of course we did. It was a, such an adventure, climbing up a very tall ladder uh, into the attic and discover a lot of relics. We can't say those as antiques because they are not 100 years old yet, but they are old enough and very memorable items. For this is just extraordinary. So you didn't know that they were there? No, of course not. <laughs> so how come anybody, was it just that they were doing restoration there? How, I mean, how were they discovered in the first place? In 2019, the Marinos sisters gave to the school sponsoring body the convent. The convent was a residential block of the sisters, but uh, since no sisters were residing there anymore, so they gave the convent to us. So the first thing we did is to employ some contractors to do some inspection. What they did is to remove the false ceiling on the second floor of the building. And after they opened the false ceiling, we discover a semi-open door above the ceiling. And that's where the attic was. Before we start the major part of the exhibition about the attic, and we may just uh, first introduce to you about the school first, okay? As you know, the school, the Marino Conference School, is in Kowloon and it's very special appearance in Hong Kong. We can see that it's furnishing with dark brown tiles on the exterior side, and also we can find some special architectural feature here. It was constructed in 1937, and it's now an declared monument in Hong Kong. So we worked with the school for a long time, and when we know that there's a discovery in the attics, we are very happy to work with the school to coordinate this kind of exhibition for, to show the discovery here. So it's a neo-Gothic. I mean, it's such a different kind of building. Yes, uh, it's seldom in Hong Kong, right? Before we go into the discovery, we have some... Actually, you know, the, the school has a long history. Although we can say the building was constructed in 1937, but the sister come to Hong Kong was in 1921. From and America? Or? From the US, right. Yeah. And then they set up the first school in 1925. So what was the ethos of the Marinol sisters? So the, the idea was education? Or? No. The Marinol sisters go where they are needed. And this is the ethos. They were set up in New York 
about one and a half hours north of New York City in a place called Orsoning. And after they set up the missionary, their foreign mission is the primary objective to engage in foreign mission was the primary objective of Mary and All Sisters. So they were set up in 1921, and in about September 1921, they sailed to Hong Kong. So this was a very special, and education, they don't know what kind of service that they could offer. But eventually, like many missionaries in Hong Kong, they were uh, engaged in social services, education, health care, and it just developed as the Hong Kong community needed those services. So how many sisters came over initially? Initially, there were only six who came over, but gradually they grew in size. More and more came from New York. Over there, we can see the six sisters uh, arrived in Hong Kong the day they arrived in Hong Kong. And these six sisters are the first batch of Merino sisters came to Hong Kong in 1921. And the photo taken here is in the Jim Sartre, the Rosary Church, right? They stayed at a house just near the Rosary Church at the Chatham Road. The environment is, may not be good, but they settled there and they try to um, serve the Hong Kong society. It's, um, a, it's a wonderful photo. You've got Marinol sisters on their day of arrival in Hong Kong in 1921, greeted by the Marinol fathers at the Rosary Church. And these six in the centre there, look at the sort of sense of expectation on their faces. Yes, right. We can also see that these six sisters, uh, after they stayed in Hong Kong, of course, they've, the very beginning, they and try to take Hong Kong as a backup station because their most ultimate goal is to go to China to serve the people there. Of course, some of them have left Hong Kong later, but at least they stay in Hong Kong, some of them. And when we evaluate what they have done in Hong Kong, it is more than to take Hong Kong as a backup station. They have done a lot, just like Doris has just mentioned. Uh, we can see in the timeline here, there are several parts of the uh, Merino sisters have done, just like we can see the work industrial department. This is the core part we will be discussed later in this exhibition. But as all of Hong Kong people may know the famous school, the Merino Convent School, we know that it was established in 1925. And the first school was in Austin Road 103. It's in Chim Sacher not the current Tong. That is the point I want to share with you. Is the, the, at the very beginning, the school is very small, and the sister has tried hard to establish the school, but after that, they found that the, the space and the area, the environment may not be good enough for a school. So they tried to negotiate with the government and try to find a better place. And in the early 1930s, they finally negotiated and got a piece of land in Kowloon Tong. And that's what we can see now, the very beautiful building in the Kowloon Tong, the Maryland Conference School. When we come across the building plans, when they prepare to construct the building, we can see that, of course, they take it as a school and the building is functioning as a school. But in fact, there's a lot of things inside the sister's mind. The building is not only a school. The building can also share the conference and also they have spare a special corner there to be established a industrial department. From this building, you can see so these are the original plans? These, these are the original ones, yes. yes. Right. So this is the Boundary Street, and this is Waterloo Road. This is the main entrance of Boundary Street. On this side is the primary school, 
And on this side, this is the convent. But at that time, in 1937, on the plan, it's、uh, stated as an industrial school. So they have a plan、uh, long before that this will be used as an industrial department. So when they said industrial department, what what kind of industries did they have in mind? Together with a group of young ladies, underprivileged ladies, they were actually conducting a sewing workshop to produce vestments for priests overseas. So they have been conducting this business since 1921, and they just carried on from Chatham Road, Austin Road, into the new site in Kowloon. So we discovered relics from the attic. And those relics were all related to the vestments, sewing accessories, patterns, orders, embroidery stands. So artifacts rather than relics. The, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, all the artifacts、yeah. that we discovered、yes. were related to the history of that sewing workshop. And so these artifacts, when did they date back to? Well, we can't really date them, but I think they have been hidden in the attic for more than 50 years. And if we look at the order forms, they or, many of them originated from 1949. We are sure that there must be some before 1949. But what we discovered this time is orders from 1949 to 1970. Our school was turned into a military hospital by the Japanese in the Second World War. So the industrial workshop had been there before the Japanese occupation. So the sisters left Hong Kong because of the war. So when they came back to Hong Kong, they recovered the whole building. So there must be some rich history behind all these artifacts and stories、mm. about.、Um, So this is the starting point, really. This、yes. exhibition that you've jointly created between Marinol and the AMO is basically, as you say. I mean, what I am pleased about is just the number of photographs that have been kept, the building plans.、Mm-hmm. So Marinol is very organised in its in its history, and of course, often you know the Second World War or the Sino-Japanese War resulted in a lot of that disappearing. So it's super、right. to actually see some of these photographs that still exist and they're pre-war. So this exhibition that you can come and see until the 14th of September here in Kowloon Park. So the idea is to not only show the discoveries, but also the history of the Marinol sisters yes. themselves. Yes, right. And our school has been declared as the monument of Hong Kong since 2008. So it is a very classical and iconic building in Hong Kong. So everyone who goes through Waterloo Road would have seen this beautiful building. And we're very happy that AMO is supporting our school and this exhibition. Here is、uh, we have two steamer trunk. Steamer trunk. Yes. Yes. Steamer trunk. They're、trunk. huge. Yes, they're very huge. In a sense, you would think that the sister come to Hong Kong is not for travel. They really want to stay here to serve Hong Kong or even serve China. They would take Hong Kong as their home. So that's why they will leave Hong Kong when they're old. They spend their whole life in Hong Kong. When these were discovered, it, they were all very dusty, and we have to conserve it very carefully under the leadership of a professional conservationist. Our students, our parents, teachers, alumni all came back to help this conservation. So it is a joint effort, a chorus of joy and camaraderie. <laughs> Wonderful! Yes, yes. So a real joint effort. Yes, and these are some pictures showing the services that the Mary North Sisters has done in Hong Kong. She is Mother Mary Joseph, the foundress of the Mary North Missionary. So this is the sewing and embroidery workshop taken in 1924. 
Yeah, so you can see all these young women yeah. are all learning their embroidery skills there. Yes, and this is the first day of school in Austin Row 103 in 1925. We started with 12 students <laughs> yeah, in a sister's common room and most of them are Portuguese or Eurasian children. So the school was founded, I mean the Kowloon Tong one, this is the foundation stone and this was the governor at yeah, the time. So, so Andrew Caldicott yes. and that's in May 1936 so that was uh, laying down the foundation stone there. Other than education as the photo shows the sister also served the Hong Kong people a lot in welfare, in medical service. There's a very famous hospital uh, organized by the Merino sister. The name is Our Lady of Merino Hospital. So section three is about the discovery. In 2019, and she's the chairman of the uh, foundation, sister, giving us the convent building. And during structural inspection, we opened the fourth ceiling or the first and the second floor. In one of the rooms in the second floor, uh, we could see a door leading to an attic. At that time, uh, we couldn't find a ladder, so we have to wait for about a week to find a ladder tall enough for us to climb up to this attic. And inside the attic, we discover a lot of materials. And here are the scrolls on the floor that we discovered, covered by some plastic sheets. It's been there maybe 50, 60 years, we don't know. When we asked for funding from uh, Lord Wilson Heritage Trust to conserve these materials, we tried to unroll these rollers one by one, and we discovered that inside there were beautiful patterns of um, embroidery patterns on each of these rollers, and sometimes there were more than one. So altogether, there were more than 400 pieces of patterns, all related to the patterns of the vestments or the chasubles of the priests. And here you can see a few more. So some patterns of the Holy Spirit. And this is, is a replica of that pattern. This is also a very beautiful pattern. They're all labeled with the kind of thread, the colors of the thread, so that the lady workers could sew according to the instructions on each of these patterns. So all the patterns of the vestments you can right. see here. Yes. So this part, so this would go down the center yes. uh, of the priest's vestments. And these were then exported back to America? Most of them were exported back to America. And we discovered more than 3,000 orders. Um, so it was serious in uh, yeah. yeah and it wasn't just a hobby it, or a... And no. yeah. busy industrial department. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And those orders uh, were from 1949 to 1970. Uh, we bet there are more, but this collection only contained those from 1949 to 1970. And uh, here you can see we have selected some orders for display. These are the orders. More than 90% were exported to the U.S. And this pattern here, as you can see, is to the uh, Kitty Hawk, the very famous U.S. aircraft carrier. At, the, at that time, it was stationed in San Francisco. And this order is from 1964. So if that was for the uh, chaplain on board? I, I'm not or? sure. They bought it and sent it home. I'm not sure. But amongst these displayed here were special yeah. ones, were quite special. Yes, yeah, so it says, and there's <laughs> remarks at the bottom. Yes. And it said, Philomena took measurements to floor. Father will telephone Friday and will pick up cassock Sunday if ready. <laughs> yes, it's very, they're very interesting. And this, for example, they have their own measurements here. So this is a, 
a supplementary document to the original order. And you can see the measurements of each father who ordered this cassock. Most of them were uh, ordering black cassocks. These are ordinary ropes for the priests. And there are even different styles, the Roman style, American style, Jesuit style, and semi-Jesuit style. There's also a price list. So um, perhaps uh, for ordinary black cassock in 1964, it would be 45 US dollars. And here you can see a picture of the girls working in the sewing room. And there's quite a few of them. Yes, there are more than 90, 90 girls working in the sewing room. Oh, really? Yes. And here you can see the... It, so they would not only be trained, but they'd also be employed? Yes, of course. They would be not only trained, but they were employed and they paid a reasonable salary. And they brought their children to work. And the children would be, took, take, would be taken after by sisters and on the first floor and they oh, will work yeah they will so it actually provided young mothers yes. uh, with an opportunity to gain employment because their children would then be occupied at the kindergarten a nursery oh nursery yes and here you can see the, the, another order from the vatican city oh wow so it's big business even yeah. vatican was ordering <laughs> from us yes so the the young women would re receive a salary yes yes i'm sure because we have the um, privilege to meet with one and ask this question. And it was recorded in one of these videos that we are showing. We are showing six videos, and one of it were about the life of the workers in the sewing workshop then. I mean, everything is captured and beautiful oral history being captured in this exhibition. And here you will find a very, very interesting photos here. Uh, you can see a lady workers working under the instruction of the sister. And at the corner is the attic door here. Oh, yes. So we can see what's happened in the convent at that time. Yes. And there are orders mailed out to Ceylon and Vietnam, Korea. So it is quite international. Some beautiful fabrics. These are replica because we cannot locate the originals because they were sent 50 years to 70 years ago. But these are the embroidery stands. We discovered four to five of these embroidery stands. Some of them are very large. We only display the smaller ones here. And these are based on the original patterns that we discovered. And uh, we try to re-machine make them for, for a demonstration to show how these would look like. So this is what the women would work off? They would have that on their table or...? Yes, um, it's just like the picture on the order, um, they will sit there and they will walk on the large sewing stand. Two young ladies will sit down and then start to embroider, following the patterns uh, that, that they have created. In fact, the person who created these beautiful patterns is a Marino sister, Sister Lutito. And uh, she is very artistic and she did all the design. These are some of the designs or, or vestments that they have mailed out. So not only black cassocks, but cassocks, foriolo, montaletta. These are the very different Italian names that they were doing at the time. So in the collection, we discovered 
various things, from the collars of the priest's uh, vestments. Yeah, this is extraordinary. So we've walked into a gallery. So behind, you can actually watch a video. And as you said, there's the oral history of actually talking to one of these women who was a young woman and learning how to do this embroidery at the time. And it was really a good anti-poverty move as well, you know, ensuring that these young women could work and that their children were taken care of at the same time so their children were safe. So you've got all of these various designs. And then along here are some of the items that were found in the uh, attic, and they've got wonderful old packaging, so China Products Company, Shanghai Silk Company. Uh, there's a singer, like as in the uh, sewing machine, a singer box. Boot, they're called the boot, the boot of the sewing machine, <laughs> I was told. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Do you sew yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is a red silk fabric that we discovered from the attic. And this oh, that's is, in very good condition. Yes, not bad, actually. It, even the conservation... Because the other thing with that attic, I do... Sorry to interrupt you, but just... It, what about humidity? It's Hong Kong. Well, actually, the conservationists were surprised to find that there's no trace of any insects or insect poo <laughs> in, in the materials. So it is, I mean... God's will that they are being placed in a very safe and reasonably good place. An amazing acting. Yes. yes. And here, this is the paper where the pattern was drawn on. And this was imported from Providence, U.S., in Rhode Island. So you could see that it's a business, really, import-export, and they are serious. And these paper um, were at least 50, 70 years ago, and they were as new when we discovered them. We also discover some sketchings of Bible stories. These are some of the paper boxes. If you have lived in Hong Kong long enough, you will know about Chinese sausages, sausages boxes, which belong to a very famous Chinese sausage shop in Hong Kong. And so it was uh, Kamkok Yearn, yes. Kamkok Yearn and Company, and that was in Queens Road Central. So yes, yeah, so it's, it's interesting because it's not just the heritage. What you're showing here in habits and haberdashery is not only this wonderful story of the history of the Marinol sisters and the work that they did with this industrial department, but it also yes. shows us the, the history of all the, the kind of companies that were involved with them. Yes, and you could see that the telephone number consisted of five digits. So this is also a very famous silk fabric company. Those ladies are, will make Cheong Sam in this uh, company. It's called... Four C's. A lot so of, they would have been, how would they have been collaborating then that they're providing I think the they silk? May be, yes, they may be getting silk from that. As far as I remember, these paper boxes are, when we discovered these paper boxes, they are containing the, the orders. Yes. So case by case. Yes. yes. Originally, these boxes may have other use, but uh, the, the sisters must have saved up the boxes and put the orders inside. So when we discovered they were full of orders and we have totally discovered more than 3,000 uh, orders. And amongst the artifacts, we discovered many, many porcelain tableware. And these are uh, from Geng Dakzhan in China. So uh, very nice. So it seems that there's a habit of afternoon tea. And uh, some of the Ladies who could still remember what they did at the sewing workshop is that they started with morning prayer and they would bring their own lunch. But for afternoon tea, the, the sisters would serve them afternoon tea. And it was a 
very English style. <laughs> and you've got plastic cups, so these are after plastic moulding. Um, so these plastic cups, and they're very nice actually, they're sort of green, blue, and a kind of pink and orange. And these plastic cups were probably used by the workers' children and the other underprivileged children in the convent's learning centre operated by the Marinol sisters on the ground floor. So this was all in the attic? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So after the procurement exercise, we are very lucky to get the support of a professional conservationist to lead this group of Marinol community uh, to help out in this uh, conservation. And it took maybe about three months to actually conserve everything in the attic. And uh, it was more than what we expect because we didn't know that the rollers have patterns rolled onto it. So even the conservationists at the end were aghasted by the amount of work that she has to do. So at the end, we call for more help from former students because the students have to go back to school in September. So we need more helpers. So we have been calling friends and, and uh, boyfriends of former students, family, to come help. And that was eventually done. And uh, we are very happy that then AMO supported us and arranged this very beautiful exhibition for That's, us. I was going to say, but with both ends, so with the Marinol Convent School Foundation, all the help that came in there, and uh, also with the work of the AMO, the fact that you've turned it around from getting the funding in April 2021 to having a full-on exhibition yes. here in Kowloon Park at the Hong Kong Heritage Discovery Centre. That's uh, very impressive. Yes, right. <laughs> Sister Teresa Young was the sister who's in charge of the sewing workshop. Throughout or what period? I think it's nearly throughout, yes. She didn't really start it as a sister, but she joined Marinor at a very young age. She knows about embroidery. So one of her contributions to the Marinor sisters was to do embroidery work and support a group of young ladies doing embroidery work. And eventually she got admitted to the Marinor missionary. And, and thereafter, she continued her service at Marinol Convent School. But also with the Marinol sisters, are there any left in Hong Kong now? Yes, there are a few, but very old, most. There are a few, shall I say, and there are some young ones who are looking to Hong Kong as a place where they learn Mandarin or Cantonese, and they are going to serve in China. Oh, so, so there are permanent. So there are, but there are still some young ones still coming through. Just coming through, but yes. not actually serving Hong Kong anymore. The older ones were any of them involved in this kind of work? The one um, who remained as the regional head of Hong Kong served in the Marinol Hospital, but not in education. So um, those who worked for Marinol Common School has all retired in New York, in the mother house in Orsoning. Oh, so you have been able to communicate with some of oh, them yes, over of there course. in New York? Yes. Uh, um, well, Sister Jean was the supervisor and the principal when I was studying Marinol. Uh, she's living in Orsoning. She's 91 years old. And she helped record the oral history, and it was recorded in the video. Well, anyway, these are the sewing uh, threads. Uh, some of them are, were from France, and DMC is a very famous thread-producing company from France, and some are from US, UK, China, Hong Kong, and when they were discovered, they were as new, shiny. Yes, they really do. Yes. They, they, everything was very well respected and looked after. Yes, just kept in the attic and miraculously they're all very nicely kept. <laughs> and these are the embroidery threads 
silk threads, very nice, beautiful colour. So, I mean, did something happen in terms of the fact that all these purchase documents are up in the attic? Did they just suddenly stop doing the industrial workshop? Yes, in 1970, the orders stopped, seem to have stopped, because we can't uh, find locate anymore. And uh, according to the history of some sisters who knew the history, she said that um, in 1971, the sister who is responsible for the sewing sh- workshop passed away. And that was also the time when light industry in Hong Kong began to flourish. Perhaps that's the reason why this very low-scale workshop could not uh, continue, because there's more competition. My thanks to Doris Kwan and Ringo Ng. The exhibition, Habits and Haberdashery, is on show at the Hong Kong Heritage Discovery Centre in Kowloon Park until September the 14th. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.